0: Uh, We are blessed today to have Dr. Terry Mize uh, here with us, a a man of God that spans decades and decades of ministry. And as I said, he's no stranger to miracles. He's no stranger to the Word of God. He's no stranger to the power of God. I love just listening. I'm blessed. We we go to meals and stuff like that while they're here. We take them out to dinner and whatnot and just get to talk. And I just love hearing the wisdom of people that – that not only know how to, there's a lot of people that know how to preach, but they don't know how to do what they preach. He preaches from what he's done. He knows the word. He's lived by the word. And he's going to share that with you. Open your heart and let him speak into your life. Dr. Mize, come and have free reign. Oh, Miss Renee's coming up first. Okay, praise God. She's good too. Man, We were over at a a church in um, uh, Porterville on uh, Friday, and she came up and, greeted the congrega- congregation, but really she started preaching uh, for like an hour and a half. No, it wasn't that long. And uh, But I tell you what, it was good. Amen? All right. Thank you.
1: Hallelujah. Thank you very much. Um, you know, it takes uh, a real act of faith uh, for pastors to um, invite someone to come to their church and stand behind their pulpit because they answer to God. For what they do, is that right? Uh, the Bible in the New Testament says over in, in uh, Hebrews that, that they give an account for what goes on in here. And so we do not take this lightly. Carrie and I are thrilled to be here. We appreciate um, Pastor David and Tammy. And we are so grateful to be here and be able to, as I like to say, we're here to wash your feet with the Word of God. We're here to pass on to you the gift of God that's in us, to be able to share with you and help uh, strengthen what is already going on here. You know, we're not here to change as much as we are to challenge <laughs> uh, you to, to do all that is in your heart towards the Lord that has been taught you from the faithfulness of the ministry that is already here. Is that right? The Bible says we are co-laborers. Everybody say, I'm a co-laborer. We are co-laborers together with Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And, uh, you know, if you're a Christian in here, which most of us I'm sure are, uh, we're going to live together forever. We're not going to get rid of each other. We're going to stay together forever. We value our earthly relationships because down here is where we need everybody. You know, I'm going to be happy to walk on the streets of gold and hang around with everybody, then be back down here in the new heaven and the new earth and uh, rule and reign with Christ Jesus forever. But right now, Jenny, is where I need you. You need me. You know, we need each other. We need to work together to get the job done, and that is to get God a bigger family. Hallelujah. That's why you're here today. How many of you have cast the care of your own life over on the Lord Jesus? I just cast the care of my life, past, present, and future, over on the Lord. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to be concerned about it. But yet I take responsibility for it in my faith and by my prayers. is that right? We take authority for our family. We take authority against attacks over the children. Seeing all these children up here today, oh, my goodness, the heritage of the Lord. Every one of you ought to have an attitude You better not touch one of these kids, or you're going to see the fire of God come out on you. Our children belong to God. They have been given to us as a responsibility to raise up in the family of God and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we cannot carelessly handle the responsibility of believers (laughs) to care for one another Look after one another. Uh, Honor one another. You know, I mean, everything about us is just, uh, I love that verse. It says, as much as in you is, keep the bond of peace. (laughs) You know, and sometimes when you've got four or five little kids trying to come to church, you're trying to work so hard to keep the bond of peace. And Brother Pastor Osteen, our our pastor, he would always say, he said, you know, I nearly have to get saved after Sunday. He, every Sunday, coming riding to church with five kids, and uh, he said, "You know, going home's about the same thing." He said, "Sometimes we have to we have to realize." He said that Jesus has to be Lord over the family, has to be Lord over the youngest as well as over the oldest, and we have a responsibility. And thank God, you have a local church that comes alongside your life. To help that lo- the local church, the value of a local church that comes beside your life, beside your life, to help you live and manage the resources that God has given you, spirit, soul, and body. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, what a joy, what a joy to come in here every week. And I think you ought to have church, you know, all the time. And uh, I just think church is the best idea. Terry and I talk about it all the time, that church was the best idea Jesus had after the death burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're not out there by yourself. You're not out there alone. Don't don't scoff at or scorn the management of the work of God through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. God's done that for you. You don't act like you don't need that that you're you can do it all by yourself. You can't. The the devil will find a way. The devil is smarter than you. He will find a way to take you out of the herd. (laughs) He will do something to get you offended, start gossiping, griping, complaining. You know, I'm in my 70s, and I just think the older I get, I'm going to be happier. I gave up gossiping and complaining, and I'm done. I'm done. I'm not putting rocks in people's backpacks. You know, I just think when you gripe and complain and gossip, you're putting a rock in somebody's backpack. And I don't want to reap that. How about you? It causes wrinkles. I'm not gonna be wrinkled. <laughs> I have a. s I'm gonna be, you know, Jesus is coming back for some for the church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, and I'm determined to be wrinkle free. Hallelujah. Full of the joy of the Lord. And I know Terry will appreciate that. <laughs> the older we get. You know, he's, he's got something so good today that's going to share with you on on spiritual authority. But the first place you're going to need to learn to take spiritual authority is over you. Because you're going to be a hypocrite if you try to do it over your spouse. Or over your children. Or over your neighbor or somebody in the family that aggravates you. If you're not doing it over you. So the first place you start with spiritual authority is over your soul, your mind, your words, your mouth, your eyes, your ears. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You know, brother, I just, the blue shirt, I just have a word for you this morning. Pour on the coals rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the more you rejoice, the more you're going to see the goodness of God come upon your life. I don't know what you need. I don't know what's going on in your life. But the Lord says, do a jig every day. Dance, 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 dance before the Lord. Hallelujah. And the more you dance and jig before the Lord, I'm telling you, God's going to begin to, you're going to dance on the head of your enemies. You're going to dance on the head of every attack, every need, financial, health, family, whatever, you're dancing on the head of, of the enemy that would try to use those things against you. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's my strength. And you take that and do that. Now You know the Lord spoke that to him, but everybody lift your hand and say, I receive it for myself. <laughs> you know? Don't be left out on anything. Don't be left out on anything. So That's what I need to do. I'm going to do some more of that this week and see what God does. You know, give the Lord a chance. Well, I'm supposed to be up here talking about product, and uh, I'm not sure I'm doing a great job or not, but it, it blesses me. <laughs> you know, and I'm just so happy. I love Jesus, and I love the work of God, and I love the people of God. And we're just here to help you and love you and bless you. Terry and I have a wonderful Program YouTube channel on uh, and we we call it Terry. It's, you can go on YouTube and you can look up Terry Mize Ministries. And if you'll hit that little bell and subscribe, um, we put a fresh one, a new one up every Thursday. And so it's fresh manna. Everybody say fresh manna. It's fresh manna. God wouldn't let the Israelites get it for two or three days. He said, No, I want you to get it every day and have fresh manna. And so with It's just to help, to help you. We talk about things like spiritual authority, the supernatural, the power of God, the blood of Jesus, the word of God. And so we're there to help you and add to, not take away from what is going on in your own life. And uh, then we have all the other programs we've been on, I guess, for about four or five years. And uh, everything's archived. So if you don't like one, just switch off and go to the other one, you know? I mean, like Terry says, you can turn us on, turn us off, turn us on, turn us off. And, uh, you know, we're just there to help and add to. And it's called, you can just go over to YouTube, type in Terry Mize Ministries, hit subscribe. You can get in there and just watch all kinds of stuff. If you don't like what we're saying, you don't need it, you know, then just, you know, move on. Love, love us, pray for us, you know. Um, then also we have a wonderful report. This church helped us uh, last year. Terry and Jackie, his first wife who's now in heaven, along with with mine and many other believers that are up there rejoicing, praying for us, you know, that great cloud of witnesses. And um, I guess about 15 years ago, they began an organization through Terry Mize Ministries called JMICF, which stands for Jackie Mize International Children's Foundation. And Terry found that when he went into foreign countries to try to help after some kind of crisis or bringing humanitarian aid, um, they, they really didn't want ministries in there, preachers in there. They wanted, uh, you know, people that had money through a, a, a NGO, non-government organization, to come in there and help them uh, recover from the earthquake or recover from the crisis, the flood, the hurricane, whatever. And so he and Jackie started this to help children and women Uh, Especially, you know, what we don't really see here in America as much as we do in other places, but we do see it here. Terry has said to us through the years that the worst discrimination worldwide is gender discrimination towards women and children. If it's bad in a third world country, I always said it's double dog bad for the women and children and so the church according to proverbs 31 you know the book of james we've got to take up the slack in that and begin to help and minister and so um, in the last three years during covid um, we weren't sure what people were going to do you know people weren't working and and there were a lot of things going on uh through the the uh, pandemic thing and um you know, it was such a such an attack on our on the world, and the church had to still take care of people. <laughs> you know, whether you could get in a building or not, we still had to take care of our family, and we had to take care of those that didn't have, and they didn't have anybody to help them, and uh, we still had orphanages and uh, human trafficking centers and widows and people around the world that Terry has. You know, he's been in the ministry 55 years in Third World Missionary Evangelism. So he knows thousands of people and ministers and ministries around the world. And we knew of people that needed to be helped. He and Jackie, that first year they started, they were just going to help two or three orphanages. And uh, so much money came in. He just sent a text, you know, Pastor Scott, to, to, you know, about eight or ten people. And they sent so much money that they were able to help five orphanages. And uh, now we we helped uh, <laughs> we helped over forty orphanages this Christmas, in about thirty countries, and uh, this is the report of that. Uh, this, is mag- this is magnificent. Over the last three years, during COVID and the, and the uh, national lockdowns, uh, the people of God gave more than we've ever received in those three years. Isn't that magnificent? Isn't that marvelous? Now, you're applauding you because your church helped us uh, the last three years and we are so grateful for that. Um, This is the, the report from last year, 22, Christmas at 22, and that's how Terry and Jackie started all those years ago. They just sent out at Christmas, would you help us with the orphans? So many times they get forgotten they get forgotten, and uh, he said, I need to help these orphanages that wouldn't have help, and they won't, wouldn't have Christmas. They wouldn't have a, uh, you know, presents under the tree for the orphans. And I'm telling you, the videos that we got, the response that we got back, the uh, opportunity that we had open to us to help these many orphanages, and we helped, um, oh, my goodness, If you we have those back there, right? Um, but it's... Uh, feeding programs. We dug water wells. We bought a plow and a tractor for an orphanage in, uh, where was it? Zimbabwe. And uh, we dug water wells. We helped 10 widows. (laughs) We helped two human trafficking centers. We did uh, housing uh, for lots and lots of kids. We did wonderful Christmas for them all and bought presents. And that was the church. That was the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So though that report is back there, and uh, I'll show you. This is what it looks like on the front, uh, and it's called JMICF, and I'm, I'm uh, proud of all of that that we've done. It's been an excellent opportunity. Then we have a, a new product back there. We just, we just did eight sessions of it on our Terry Mize Ministries program, More Than Conquerors, and it's the supernatural. And um, we're just thrilled and excited uh, to talk about that because how many of you need uh, something supernatural over and above what you can produce on your own and hopeless dynamics and situations that if it wasn't for the Lord what would you know David said if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side let Israel now say and then he said it again if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, when the proud waters tried to come over us. He said, but we have escaped like a bird. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And so that's what I see when I look at the supernatural. Terry did this at a, at a wonderful church that has been a partner church for years and years, and they asked him that Sunday, uh, Pastor David, to come in there and teach on the supernatural and miracles. And it was by the Holy Ghost. And so we want to share that with you. And then this wonderful new CD as well called The Iron Did Swim. He preached that the other night uh, in Marcus Dela Cruz's church. And this will ble- this will help you grow your faith, I mean, big time. I think if you've got those two, uh, along with this one, God's a good checker player. I'm t- that You know, those things are just, they're one-liners that, that great men of God like John Osteen, Kenneth Hagan, Gave to us. I was thinking, back in the you know the fifties and sixties. My goodness gracious, um, we we wouldn't have imagined we'd be in this place where we are today as a country, and yet the Lord, you know, has seen us through many. You know, like the old song says, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought me safe this far, and it'll be the grace of God that'll lead me on. Uh, but we're to be a valiant, fierce church that doesn't back down. Terry taught this at a church in Florida. In fact, we'll be there in in another 10 days. And this basics of faith, that you can put yourself through Bible school. I'm telling you, you don't have to leave town, go check into a hotel. You You don't have to go somewhere else. These things will help you. It will strengthen your faith. It will show you, the care that God wants you to have over your own life so that you can freely go to the world and help other people. And so everything about spiritual authority is you doing it, exercising that through your own faith. That's the marvelous thing about Christianity is that it's per person. Whosoever will can ask for whatever they want (laughs) and as much as they want. The, the responsibility is on the individual believer. And the, and the glory of that is that there is no restrictions on your faith. God will let you lose, use your faith as much as you want to. And you can ask for whatsoever you will. I mean, that's marvelous to me. You don't hear that in other, in other religions of the world. I mean, to say we could use the name of Jesus and God lives in us, why, that would be blasphemy in any other religions of the world. But God says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You know, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. I mean, what a gift, what gifts we have in the realm of the spirit. And then these, this is a real deal. There's four of Terry's. Great legacy me- messages on there, and like the word of a king is with power. Um, how to you know how to really be stable in unstable times? I mean, there's four great messages in this called Legacy One, and uh, we're working on Legacy Two. It should be out in just a few weeks. But I'm, t- I, I you know we're just here to try to give you whatever we got. <laughs> you know, freely we've received, and and from the Lord freely we're gonna give to you, so that there there shouldn't be any boundary about anything that we have we're just here to bless you wash your feet encourage you strengthen the work that pastor uh, shipman is already doing in your life through the word of god through the spirit of god and we're just here to wrap our arms around you and say go get them bulldog you know go out there be fierce be strong don't back up don't listen those goofy thoughts in your mind that dwarf you Don't listen to those goofy thoughts in your mind that bring up your past or bring up something that that would try to intimidate you or cause you to uh, start out strong and then step back and think, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Um, We we need to be very, very, very aggressive in the realm of the Spirit, very gentle with people, but very aggressive in the realm of our prayer life and and strengthening ourselves with the things just like this. We're just here to add. We're not here to take away. And so today I just want you to be in in the atmosphere and the attitude to receive strength. Everybody say, I receive strength. I receive strength. I receive strength from the preaching of the Word of God. And then I'm going to go out, not just be a hearer. Don't be just a hearer in here today. Set there in your heart and determine, I'm going to go be a doer. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I didn't just come to church to hear. I came to church to hear and go do. Be obedient to the word of God. Amen. Darling, come on here. Hallelujah. This is the man of God. I've known him for almost 50 years. He's been in the ministry 55 years. And um, I'm telling you, gather all this stuff up. Um, Terry and I, uh, Terry and Jackie, and my first husband and I, who is now in heaven as well, uh, we met... Almost, it'll be 50 years in November. next November. And uh, I still like him. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we, be our families became good friends, and our children were in each other's weddings. He and Jackie were there the day my youngest child was born, and they are her godparents. And uh, we just have a long history and relationship, and uh, we're just so grateful that Um, you know, when when the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, or when life changes, you know, and people go on to heaven, uh, you know, what do you do? You have to decide. You have to hear from God. And so, as Terry says so often, he said, you know, the devil left us lemons, feels like, you know. And uh, we just decided to get married and make lemonade. So we're we're thankful for that. And uh, we're thankful for the grace of God. You know, we, we don't want to be frivolous about that, but on the other hand, we want to acknowledge uh, the goodness of God that he has helped us continue to help people, help, you know, manage both of our families. We now have, um, we used to say we had, Terry had eight grandchildren and I have eight, but I'm now fixing to hit number 10 grandchildren. And Terry has taken in my family, my children, my 95-year-old mother, my sister and brother in a nursing home, and all of us, and uh, one new little great-grandchild. And we are just so thankful for the ministry that Terry has had consistently for 55 years. My children love him, uh, we respect him, and we honor him for what he has done. Amen. So y'all just give him another hand and love Thank on, on him. Thank, Thank
2: you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, at the time we got married, we had known each other 40 years. I highly recommend you marry somebody you've known 40 years. (laughs) That way, there's no surprises. Amen. Uh, There just wasn't any surprises. We had uh, been such close friends for so long, and then Dean ran off and left us, and then Jackie ran off and left us, and so uh, uh, here we are. Praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Say this with me I know God is good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. And I know his word is truth. And I
3: know his word is
2: truth. Amen. Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. What a powerful statement. When I found that scripture as a teenager, and I saw that scripture in John 17, 17, Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. I said, well, then if I can find it in the Bible, I can make it happen. If this, if this is the truth, You know, we're living in America today. People don't believe in absolute truth anymore, but this missionary still believes in absolute truth. And uh, if this is the truth, and Jesus said it is, then if we can get in this book and find it, we can take it to the bank. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. I hope you're here every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. You know, Pastor got up and and told you he'd like you to be here. And uh, I don't know how y'all, you know, are or believe or... Are convicted, but uh, um, I don't think I'd have a pastor and didn't do what he said. Exactly right. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point in having a spiritual leader, someone that God has, put, has anointed to watch over your souls and must give an account for you? Yes. The Bible says the pastor has to give, stand before God and give an account, not for him, for you. And then it says this little footnote it says, and it would be good if that report wasn't grievous. <laughs> God said, it'd be nice if your pastor gives me a good report about you. Isn't that the truth? My goodness gracious. Amen. So um, I, I have a dear friend that just went to heaven in November and I preached his funeral. Uh, dear, dear, dear friend of the family, black man. I had people ask me over the years, sometimes I'll say somebody's a black man or black woman. And I've had people come to me and say, why did you feel like you had to say they were a black person? I said, because you're a racist. <laughs> because if I had just said, I have a dear friend, and in all of your minds, you'd have thought, oh, it's a white guy. Yeah. I said, I got a pulpit decades ago. And I said, a friend of mine, we're out, a good pastor friend of mine and I were out fishing the other day on the lake. And we were catching fish. And I said, he's a black guy. And somebody came to me and said, why did you have to say that? I said, because you'd have thought I was fishing with a white guy. You, you know, that, that, that's your problem. It's not my problem. It's your problem. <laughs> anyway, Robin Gould was a wonderful man of God, a prince of a man. I've known him for 30-something years. They've supported my ministry. We've been overseas together. His kids are like my kids. And In fact, I tried so hard to get one of my sons to marry one of his daughters. Oh, my goodness, I love that girl. And, uh, but uh, uh, they um, have this great church, 5,000-seat auditorium. Dome in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Renee and I will be there next month and minister for, for his, his wife, his widow, who's now pastor in the church. I installed her as pastor. And uh, uh, one year I was there, and they have a beautiful building they had built decades ago, gorgeous building, I mean, modern looking building. But then they, they, on the same property, built a 5,000 seat dome. And so on Sunday mornings, they were doing the dome. And on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, they were doing the other building. Because not as many Christians are, Sunday morning Christians are flaky usually, and they don't come Sunday night and <laughs> midweek service. Somebody said years ago before I came, they said, people that go to church on Sunday morning love church, and people that go on Sunday night love the pastor, and people that go on midweek service love the Lord. So we don't have near as many people that love the Lord, it seems like, uh, as th- does the pastor of the church, but... But anyway, pastor stood up at this meeting, and he said, Now, now Dr. Myers is speaking for us uh, this morning, and there's 5,000 people there in the dome. And he said, You know, we love Brother Myers. He's an apostle at our church. We consider him an apostle, and we've been overseas with him, and we've watched the miracles and blah, 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 blah. And he said, So uh, I'm asking you as your pastor, I'm asking you to be back here tonight. And he said, And, of course, we'll be in the other building tonight, you know. And so when I was introduced and took took the platform, I said, uh, let, me, let me see if I can clarify something pastor said. I said, I said he is your pastor, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, well, he asked you to be here tonight. Your pastor asked ask, ask you to be here. And I said, so that means you'll be here, right? Oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, well, then that means there's not enough room in that other building, so we'll be meeting in this building tonight. We'll be meeting in the dome. <laughs> I mean, if he's your pastor. I mean, if you care, if you listened. And so pastor stood up and said, that's right, we'll be here in the Dome tonight. And I mean, the place was full that night. You know, sometimes you just need to remind people what this is all about. I, I was at a church one time in Texas years and years and years ago, and, and there was a beautiful lake in that town, and it happened to be a holiday. It's 4th of July or sorry, I don't know what it was, some, some holiday. It wasn't 4th. And, uh, and it was Sunday. And so pastor got up and, and bragged on the people. He, that's what pastors do, they brag on you, even when you don't deserve it. And, uh, and so he stood up and he said, Oh, I'm so thankful you're here today. I'm just so proud of you. you came today to hear Brother Terry. And I tell you, you could be at the lake and you could be, you know, eating hot dogs and water, skiing and fishing and, and playing with the kids. And you, you chose to be at church. I'm just so proud of you. And I stood up and I said, Well, I'm proud of you too. But by the same token, shame on you if you weren't here. It's your reasonable service. Yeah. That's it, right I mean, this is your church, that's your pastor, you're a Christian. So, so, on the one hand, we brag on you and thank you for being here. On the other hand, it's ridiculous that you wouldn't be. That's how we were raised. Right. <laughs> you better believe it. That's how we were right. Boy, I tell you, when I was a little kid, and when Renee was a little kid, she was raised in Pentecostal church in Louisiana, I was raised in Pentecostal church in Texas, we wouldn't dare miss. As a kid, we wouldn't dare miss Sunday night, because we just knew that Sunday night, uh, if we missed, that'd be, that'd be the night that the Holy Ghost fell and did something. And we didn't want to miss it. Cause you know Sunday mornings are just your normal Sunday morning. Get get in, get out. You know, uh, but then Sunday night, then the Holy Ghost is invited. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost can come Sunday night. And Holy so, man, I never wanted to miss Sunday night. And uh, so, so on the one hand, I'm with Pastor saying thank you for being here, and I hope you're here all, 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 all four sessions. But on the other hand, I can't imagine you not being. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're Christians, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is your church, right? That's your pastor, right? I mean. I can't fathom you not being here. You know that's just not an option. Not these days. And in these days that we're living in now, you know, you know, the Holy Ghost said to us in Hebrews. He said Hebrews ten twenty five. He said, "Forsake not. Yeah. Forsake not. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, getting together." He said, "As some do, because many do. I don't want to be in that many do." And then he said this, and even more so as you see the day approaching. Well, I, th- I think the day's not just approaching. I think it's here. Yeah. We are in a mess in this day and age, and America's in a mess, and the church is in a mess, and how much more we, the, the real Christians, need to be here and do something about it. That's wrong, yeah. Amen, Brother Terry. That's a really good word. Well, thank <laughs> you. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> Amen. You know, I, I just I just would have never dreamed of missing church. Some people wouldn't dream of missing work. Some people wouldn't dream of missing school. I wouldn't dream of missing church.
3: Right.
2: Amen. 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 Isn't that right? Yeah. Amen. Numbers of years have gone by, and, and I, I'd be in different churches preaching and some some couple, man, woman, come up to me after service in whatever town I was in, and they'd say, oh, Brother Terry, we're so glad to hear you. there's such a great service tonight. We just, just been excited that you're coming, and, and that was so, so good. It just blessed us. And I said, well, where are your kids? Let me say hi to them, because I knew they had kids, teenagers, and stuff. And they said, oh, they're not here. I said, I said, they're what? Well, they're not here tonight. I said, well, why aren't they? And they said, well, they didn't want to come. I said, well, who asked them? <laughs> I can't imagine you'd ask them. You don't ask them if they want to go to school. You don't ask them if they want to go to the dentist. You don't ask them if they want to go to the doctor. You don't ask them if they want to brush their teeth. You just tell them to do things that are good for them. How many times have we woken the kids up for school? and they say, Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go to school. I don't feel good. Get up. You'll feel better later. You're going to school. It's good for you. I know what's good for you. You don't know what's good for you. I know what's good for you.
3: That's
2: it. Brush your teeth. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't care. Go brush your teeth. It's good for you. Eat your vegetables. I don't want to eat my vegetables. I don't care. Eat your vegetables. It's good for you. It's called parenting. Parenting. That's a good word. (laughs) And see, that's what a pastor is. He's your your father like one. And so he's giving you things that are good for you. You know, if it's just gonna be me and me and Renee and, and him and Tammy, well, we just go to dinner every night and not even come to church. <laughs> if you're not gonna be here, I'm only I'm only here because you're here. If you're here, then I'll come in and preach. But if you're not gonna be here, let me know now. <laughs> we just go do something else. But see, that's that's parenting in the church that we yeah. we we tell ourselves and our kids that, hey, it's church night. We go to church. We're going to be there. And this is real special because Pastor called me and asked me, he said, I feel of the Holy Ghost, and I'm asking you, I want you to minister on spiritual authority. And I said, All right, sir, I'll I'll pray about that and put it in and start talking to the Lord about it and we'll 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 do that. We'll we'll minister on that. Yes. I actually was gonna minister something else. I've been praying about it for a long time and was looking forward to coming. I was gonna minister another direction. And then when he said that then because he's the pastor, then I switched.
3: Amen. He's the pastor,
2: so I'm going to do what he says. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I don't think we have, the church has scratched the surface in the area of spiritual authority. And it's something that people have died because of because they don't understand it. That's right. More people are going to die because of it because they don't understand it. And if we're going to live in this last day in these end times and these tough times and when the devil's attacking us and our own government is attacking the church, our own government's telling the church to stay home. Our own government's saying, hey, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Sam's, you can go to Costco, but if you go to church, you'll die. If you go to church, you're mean because you hate people because you're killing other people. You're a murderer. See, the church is under attack. And how much more we are... I mean, what if, what if America just came in and shut down the churches? I, I go to those communist countries all my life where they're not allowed to have church, so we have underground church. And those people go to church at the risk of death. And I go preach to them at the risk of death. Amen? And yeah, you couldn't keep them away. I go to, I go to countries where, where the church is underground... And, and they don't even tell anybody where they're going to meet. They change the location all the time, and they don't even tell anybody where they're going to be. They just say, okay, this Sunday, ask the Holy Ghost where we're going to be, and he'll tell you, and we'll, we'll have church. Yeah. So they all have to pray and hear from the Holy Ghost to see where to go. And Americans know where to go and don't go. People have asked me for decades and decades and decades and decades, Brother Terry, what do you think would be the, the best thing to motivate the church in America? I said, well, you don't want to hear it. And you don't want to live through it because the best thing would be persecution. The best thing would be them trying to keep us out of church. Then we'd, then we'd go. So I encourage you to be here tonight. I encourage you to be here tomorrow night. I encourage you to be here Tuesday night. And, uh, and uh, I don't mind staying Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. But, I mean, we, 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 we need to start getting serious about the things of God amen but we're delighted to be here we love your pastor and we love the family and and uh, and of course you guys partner with us and help us do missions all over the world and uh, we're excited about that we're about to have a great pastor's conference gypsy pastors in romania and then we're having a great pastor's conference in malta which the bible calls the island of melita where paul was shipwrecked and he got bit by a snake and shook the snake off in the fire and there'll be pastors coming there from from italy and from greece and from spain and from and then from africa because it sits out in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, so they'll come, they'll come from every direction, and we'll train them and minister to them and help them and bless them. So anyway, we're excited about what God's doing. Amen. Amen? Stand up with me. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this seminar, this conference. Father, on spiritual authority, spiritual authority, or what you called dominion, You said, I want my people to have dominion and I want my people to dominate the planet. And so, Father, I don't think we have scratched the surface. And you have shown me things and tried to teach me things about it since I was a kid. You talked to me about it when I was a kid, when I never heard the term, didn't know anything about it. And so I've learned some things over the years and I've pursued this situation over the years and uh, you've helped us. Uh, and, and done miracles and, and, and changed nations and made history and changed history because of it, and I thank you for it. So, Father, I thank you for people right here that uh, during this morning's service and tonight's service and tomorrow night's service and Tuesday night service, we're going to receive a revelation from Almighty God. Some of us will already know it, so it'll just be confirmation of what we already know, and others don't know it. It'll be a revelation to them of something they didn't know. And so we'll be able to go and put that into effect into effect in our personal life with our, with our health, with our finances, with our marriage, with our kids, with our grandkids, with our business, with everything that pertains to us, we'll know more and understand more about dominating the situation and operating in spiritual authority. And we thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated, praise the Lord. Uh, give you, I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures real quick. You don't have to go there because it's not even where we're going to preach today, but it's just scriptures I use all the time and have forever that God gave to me when I was a kid. And they're, they're the scriptures of why I, I do what I do and go where I go and eat what I eat. Uh, these scriptures are why I eat monkey and dog and cat and rat and bugs and worms and uh, all the stuff I've eaten around the world and why I sleep in crazy places and left my family and, and traveled jungles and rivers to do it. And these are the scriptures, Proverbs Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as appointed to destruction. The Bible says they're appointed to destruction. They're going to hell. Everybody on the planet from the day they were born is a sweet, precious, precious, precious little tiny baby. That little tiny baby, precious that it is, has a destiny and a date and a future with hell. Hell is its destination. Hell is its final home unless a Christian interrupts it. Unless a Christian gets in that baby's face at some point in their life and and says, uh, you need Jesus, and leads them to Jesus. Otherwise, they're going to hell. Your neighbor, you've got neighbors that are going to hell. You've got relatives that are going to hell. You've got people that you know that are going to hell. They're appointed to destruction unless somebody interrupts them and says, hey, let me tell you what Jesus did for me, and let me tell you what Jesus will do for you, and and rescues them. And if they're not rescued by some Christian somewhere, then when they die, they'll spend eternity, 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 eternity in, in hell. So he said, open your mouth. Don't keep your mouth shut. Open your mouth. Speak up. For the dumb in the cause of all such are as appointed to destruction. Open your mouth and judge righteously and plead the cause or plead the case of the poor and needy. NIV says it more in our vernacular today, so I'll read that to you. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. They can't speak for themselves. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't have revelation like you do.
3: That's
2: right. Speak up for these kids in child trafficking. Speak up for these babies that are being aborted. They can't speak for themselves, and God says you're supposed to do it. Amen. Amen. And uh, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And then a New Testament scripture, James 1, 27. Pure religion. Everybody say pure religion. Pure religion religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this. Then he gives us a definition. I love it when God gives us definitions. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows, the widows and orphans, in their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Keep yourself straight. That's all you have to do is to take care of widows and orphans, keep yourself straight, and God will be happy and say that you've got pure religion, that you're the real deal. See, that ought to be the church's reputation, shouldn't it? In your town, folks around your town ought to be saying, you know those folks down there at that Kopi, what in the world is that uh, uh Down there at that copy church, they, they're, they're kind of weird. They uh, raise their hands when they sing. They, they talk in funny languages. Uh, they go around saying they're rich when we can tell they're not, and they're healed when we can tell they're not, and they go around saying weird stuff. But you know what? They have widows and orphans and the poor all the time and they've never had a scandal. They're clean. Amen. See, that ought to be our reputation. Yeah. That ought to be what the world sees, that we help widows and orphans and those, the, those in need, the poor, and then we keep ourselves straight. Yeah. Amen. That's the testimony. Okay. Amen. Are y'all here? Amen. All right, now the Lord started trying to get spiritual authority across to me when I was a kid. I don't even remember when it first started because it took me a few years to start putting things together. You know, and I'd have to link, oh, yeah, that happened last time. Oh, yeah, I remember when God said that. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah well, that, that connects to this, and, and that connects to this, and God, God, God's trying to show me something. And I didn't know the word spiritual authority. I didn't know anything about it. And uh, I remember one time I was having lunch uh, uh, with John and Dodie Osteen, Joel, Joel's parents, down in Houston, Lakewood Church pastors, and, and I was having lunch with them one day. And uh, John and Dodie both said to me, they said, Terry, you know what? said, when you walk in our church, walk in Lakewood Church, thousands and thousands of people are there. said, we never even have to announce that you're there. said, everybody knows it. And I said, what? And they said, no, you walk in such spiritual authority that when you walk in the house, everybody knows it john said when you walk in places in mexico i was living in mexico at the time as a missionary he said when you walk in mexico every demon you walk into a cafe a restaurant a grocery store or whatever said every demon in the place knows knows who you are and uh, what you're doing there because there's an authority that you walk in and i just went kind of like blah, blah, blah. i had no idea what he was talking about uh but just over the years god started showing me some things and i started putting together and when my first wife, Jackie, and I, she's in heaven today, but when, when we uh, were wise old people at the age of 19 out in West Texas, um, over 50 years ago now, uh, decided to get married, well, she came to me one day just in tears, just hysterical, crying, sobbing, and said, Terry, I can't marry you until I tell you a couple of things. There's two things about me you don't know. And once you find out these two things, they're both going to affect your life drastically. And once you find out what they are, you may not want to marry me. She just boo-hoo and sobbing. And I said, well, what? I thought maybe she was a bank robber. And uh, she said, number one, I can't have children. She said, all I've ever wanted to be is a mommy. Ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a mommy, but I can't be a mommy. And uh, if I can't be a mommy, you can't be a daddy. And she said, I know you want children. I see you talk to children and play with children. and You talk to me about us having a family. And It breaks my heart every time you do, because she said, I can't give you a family. And she said, you may not want to marry me because of that. And she said, number two, I'll be an invalid by the time I'm 30 years old, and you're you're going to tell people about Jesus and travel all over the world as a missionary. And she said, "You're going. To, by the time you're 30, you're going to have an invalid wife to take care of." And she just sobbing and crying and sobbing and crying. And I looked at that little old girl out there in West Texas, and it made me so mad. Not at her. It made me so mad. I said, "Jackie, who said that to you?" She said, "What?" I said, "Who said you couldn't have children? And who said?" you'd be an, offer, uh, an invalid in a wheelchair. She said, well, well, the doctors have told me ever since I was a little girl. said, you know, my parents have told me, my grandparents have told me, my, my pastors remind me and tell me, my church people tell me. She said, everybody knows it but you. And I literally did like this. I went, thank God. And she said, what? And I said, thank God. She said, thank God for what? I said, thank God. I thought maybe somebody with authority had told you you couldn't have children. <laughs> and I thought maybe somebody with authority told you you'd be an invalid in a wheelchair. So, see, God, Tammy, then, was trying to get across to me this thing on spiritual authority. I just, I just wasn't piecing it all together yet. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And so, uh, little by little over the years, God would give me different things until finally one day it dawned on me. I said, you know what? God's trying to talk to me about <laughs> spiritual authority. And so uh, I began to study it and look into it and do things about it. And I told her, I said, I've got really good news for you, girl. She said, what's that? I said, God said you can have babies. And she said, he did? I said, of course he did. He ordered them in the Garden of Eden. They were his idea. He thought them up. First spoken words of God, the Creator, the man, the creature, was multiply and be fruitful. I said, that was a command. That wasn't a suggestion. And in Deuteronomy 7:13, he said, I'll multiply the fruit of your womb, verse 14, there'll be neither male nor female barren among you. I said, Psalms 113, verse 9, the barren woman to keep house. God will make the barren woman to keep house and make her a joyful mother of children. Psalms 127, verse 3, children are the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Psalms 128, verse 3, my wife's a fruitful vine by the sides of my house, and my children and olive trees round about my table. I said, you marry me, you have all the kids you want. I said, not because of me, because God said it. I said, I appreciate doctors. Thank God for doctors, nurses, hospitals, medicine. Thank God. I said, but they're not going to tell me something contrary to what's in here. I said, thank God for your parents and your grandparents. I love them dearly, but they're not going to tell me something God's already told me different. I appreciate your pastor, although shame on your pastor for telling you that, but I appreciate your pastor and your church people, but they're not going to tell me something contrary to what God has already told me differently. God said, we can have children. They're not going to tell me we can't. Amen. And so we had four, two boys and two girls, and then eight grandkids. And I said, and furthermore, you'll never be an invalid, never be in a wheelchair. And I rattled off a bunch of healing scriptures to her. And sure enough, she never was an invalid, never was in a wheelchair. And she did, die prematurely. And I don't know why. I just was off preaching, uh, you know, a number of years ago. And and on a Saturday night, we talked and said, love you, love you too. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And, okay, I'm going to bed and blah, blah, blah. And uh, she went to bed at home in Tulsa and woke up in heaven. Nothing wrong with her, not sick. And uh, so when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk to her about that. I said, well, what, what, what? <laughs> What's the deal? What 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 am I missing here? But uh, she's never sick, never in a wheelchair, never in an invalid. Amen. Amen. And then one day uh, we came up from Mexico to Houston, and somebody in Houston said, "Hey, guess what?" Said Mom and Dad Goodwin, brother and sister Goodwin, are having a meeting tonight over at a hotel. Uh, you'd you'd probably like to go. I said, "I'd love to go. That's great." Now, if you ever know anything about Kenneth Hagin. Then you heard him talk about mom and dad Goodwin or J.R. Or Goodwin and his wife, Carmen. And I call them mom and dad, but they were contemporaries of Brother Hagin's and friends. They're the ones that got John Osteen filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes. They're the ones that taught Howard Carter about the gifts of the spirit. And Howard Carter's the guy that wrote the book on the gifts of the spirit, that when all of us want to know anything about the gifts of the spirit, we go get Howard Carter's book and read it, but they're the ones that taught him, right? And then they were Brother Hagin's dear, 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 dear friends. And so they had come down to Mexico and I had met them in Mexico when I was living there as a missionary and we became fast friends. And so whenever I was in Houston, somebody said they were preaching, uh, Jackie and I just took our kids and went over there and we walked in the service, sit back on the back row and, uh. And they got up and they were talking uh, uh, about this, you know getting into the service. And they said, "You know what?" I said tonight we're going to be, be dealing with spiritual authority. And I thought, well, praise God, I need to know something about that. God's been talking to me about that. That's I'm, I'm ready for them. man. I got my notepad out, my pencil, and I'm ready. And they said, "There's a young man here tonight that knows more about spiritual authority than anybody we've ever met before." And I thought, well, praise God, somebody's going to enlighten me. <laughs> And they said, so we're going to call him up and said, you're going to learn some things about spiritual authority. And boy, I got my notepad. I'm ready. All right, where is he, where is he, where is he? And they said, Terry Mines, come up here. And I said, <laughs> me? <laughs> I don't know anything about spiritual authority. And uh, they called me up and had me, had me minister. So God's been dealing with me about this for a long, long time. And as we get into this tonight and tomorrow night and Tuesday night, I'll, I'll tell you some pretty serious Testimonies and stories about things that, that God said and, and, and did, and testimonies that happened, and so on and so forth. But but I want to start off today with something a, a, a little bit a little bit different, and, um, and, and then because it's Sunday morning, I want to be cognizant of the of the time as well. But but Genesis one twenty six is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, because Genesis one twenty six, God has created the earth. And he's created the animals, and he's created the oceans and the rivers and the lakes and all the beautiful waters and waterfalls, and he's created all the flora, all the fauna, all the wonderful animals, all the beautiful flowers. He's already done all that in Genesis 1.26. But he hasn't made man yet. And so now he's ready to make people. And so in Genesis 1.26, he makes this statement. He says, Now, let us make man, meaning men and women, let us make man in our likeness and in our image, and let them, them men and women, let them, them people. Let them have dominion. And see we use the word faith and power and authority, but God used a stronger word. He said dominion. He said, let them have dominion. He said, I want my people to dominate. I want them to be the dominating factor on the earth. In my own. Boy, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. God said, I want my people to be the dominating factor on the earth, on the planet. He said, now let us make man in our likeness our image and let them have dominion over the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, the cattle of the field, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we've got authority and dominion over creeps. Amen. Amen. But we, we, we've got authority and dominion. If you just stop and think about what he said, we've got authority and dominion over everything. Yeah. He said over the fowl, the, the, the fowl of the air, the birds, over the fish of the sea, over the cattle of the beasts of the field, and over all the earth. Well, when he says over all the earth, that means tornadoes, hurricanes, droughts, floods, wildfires, mudslides, Right? Over all the, you've got dominion over the earth. So God didn't look at you as just mere men. And Paul said to us, the apostle Paul said, we're not just mere men. We don't think like the world, act like the world, dress like the world, sound like the world, smell like the world. We're not, we're not of the world. We, we live different. We don't live by the beggarly elements of this world. We don't live like uh, by the same rules and standards that the guy that, that works with you down at the place or the lady that works with you down at the place. No, they, they think about the beggarly elements of this world and they listen to the newscast and they listen to what everybody's saying and that's how they live their life based on and judged on that. But you're not supposed to. That's supposed to be a foreign language to you. Because you're citizens not of earth. You're citizens of heaven. Your passport says you're from heaven. Hello? And you may live in a country like America has a president. Some countries have kings. Some countries have queens. Some countries have prime ministers. Some countries have presidents. Well, America has a president, but that's not where your allegiance is. Your allegiance is to God. I just get all weirded out at, at, at Americans that they want to talk about what a great Republican they are, a great Democrat they are, when, when, and then they ignore Christian values and biblical principles. Yep. Exactly. Well, that's insane. Yeah. You're a traitor to your own nation because you're a citizen of heaven. You're not a citizen of here. You're passing through here. Yeah. Right. You're a visitor here. This isn't your home. You're not supposed to think like them. Amen? Amen. You're not supposed to think like them. There ought to be a difference in atheists and disciples. You're a disciple. You should think different. You shouldn't act like atheists and think like atheists. Talk like atheists. Get your information where atheists get their information from. No, you've got inside information. You're a citizen of heaven. God is your father. Amen. Amen. That sets you apart. That makes you different. You're not just a mere man. You know, your friend down at work might say, Dear God, gas is $5 a gallon, and I've only got $5, so I guess I'll go put a gallon of gas. You don't think that way. You don't talk that way. I was listening to a tape the other day of John Osteen, preaching at Brother Hagin's camp meeting back in the 70s, and Brother John said, I don't care if gas goes to a dollar a gallon. And... uh, (laughs) bread goes to a dollar a loaf I'm thinking well brother John you missed it <laughs> you know? but the principle is the same it doesn't matter where it goes to if you're not a citizen of here now if you're a citizen of here that does matter where it does it does matter to you but if it's $5 $6 $7 $10 and God's your source then what do you care Amen? I mean if you go to the gas station and you got two or three hundred thousand dollars in your pocket, you don't care what gas is. But you go to the gas station, you got the Bible in your pocket, you shouldn't care how much the gas is. Amen. This is better than cash, this is better than Bitcoin. Right? This is better than gold, this is better than silver. This is better than any investment you could possibly make. And God said about the gold and the silver, he said, by the way, it belongs to me. Haggai 2, he says, the gold is mine, and the silver, saith the Lord. He said, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen. Well, if God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and you get in a situation where you need some steak, just say, hey, daddy. Or you need some money, you say, hey, Father, would you sell a cow? Because we don't think like the guy next door. The guy next door is counting those pennies and counting that checkbook and counting all that stuff and saying, dear God, we're not going to make it to the end of the month. That's a terrible way to live. But you're thinking, well, I don't see much money in the bank account, but I sure see a bunch here. When Renee married me, she found out a little phrase that I've told her. We've been, in September, we'll have been married nine years. And and and, and so when she married me, uh, she just took over the bills and took over the finances and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and so she uh, would come to me from time to time when we first got married and she'd say, uh, Terry, we need $15,000 next week. We need we need $20,000 next week. We need this. We need this. We need this. We got to pay this bill. We got to pay that bill. We got to take care of these pastors. We got to take care of these orphans. She told me the other day, she said, I think we can feed 7,000 orphans a month. And I said, 7,000 a month? You think we can feed 7,000 a month? She said, I believe we can. Yeah, we gotta, we can do it. And I said, well, I don't mind doing that. I'm happy to do that. I would be thrilled to do that. I said, but you need to. See, we need to sit down here and talk about this and make sure we got our faith on this because I said, what, I can't go to some orphan and say, sorry, you don't get to eat this month because my partners didn't give. Right? I got some church to give me two four hundred dollars thousand dollars a month for orphans, and all of a sudden they decided not to. They, they write me a letter at the end of the year and say, well, we prayed over our end of the year budget, and so we're decided to go another way, and we're not going to support your orphans this year. Well, I can't go to those orphans and say, sorry. You don't get to eat. I've got to feed them anyway. Once I commit to feed them, I've got to do it. And God will do that. But anyway, she'd come to me and say, we need 15000 we need 20000 we need this, we need this, we need this. And I'd always answer the same thing. I have one standard answer. And I've used it for almost 60 years now. Well, God has plenty of money, and he shares with us. That's my standard answer always. God has plenty of money. And He shares with us. Say, God has, God has plenty of money. How many of y'all really believe that? I mean, you just said it out your mouth, but do you believe it? God has plenty of money. He has plenty of money. And He shares with you. I mean, Peter came to Jesus and said, Master, Master, the IRS is after us. We've got to pay our taxes. Or he said, You've got to pay your taxes. And Jesus said, well, you know, go catch a fish. And take the first fish you catch, look in his mouth, and there'll be enough money to pay not only my taxes, but yours too. Just pay yours, yours also. Well, God's got plenty of money. He's got lots of fish with money. Amen? Amen. That's
3: true.
2: The only limitation is not on God, it's on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's whether you don't think that's true or not. Whether you think maybe he's lying, say God's got plenty of money, plenty of money. And, he and He shares with me. See, I can go to sleep at night and not worry about that bill and not let that bill just eat on me, because I can go to bed and say, "Shoo, thank you, Lord. You got plenty of money, and You share it with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You got plenty of money, and You share it with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, that You got plenty of money and You share it with me." And he always has. I've done pastor's conferences and these things for 55 years. And when I do these pastor's conferences, I pay for those pastor's food, three meals a day. I put them in hotels. I pay for their lodging for the whole time they're there. I usually pay their transportation one way. I'll say, well, if you get to me by tri- by, by train, you bring me a train ticket, and I'll match it to send you home. You come by bus, bring me a bus ticket. I'll match it and send you home. Yeah, I tell them, you do something, I'll do something. Right? And so my, my budget is usually somewhere in the neighborhood of $40,000, $60,000 every time I have a pastor's conference because I'm feeding these guys, 2,000 guys, or, or, or depends on how many they, or there are in whatever country I'm in. And, and, and prices fluctuate depending on the country you're in. And, uh, and so, you know, God's always paid it. I think I was the first person ever to put gypsies in hotels. I put 400 gypsies in a hotel in Romania, blew them all away, blew the hotel away, blew the town away, you know. Gypsies never been in a hotel before. I had to tell them, don't steal anything, don't take anything home with you. <laughs> this stuff isn't yours, you don't get to keep it. You can't keep the towels, you can't take the television with you. You, can't. And, you know, I told them, I said, don't make any phone calls, because I have to pay for that. The hotel manager called me one night and said, said, uh, Dr. Mine said, they're calling everybody they know, even in in America. They're calling everybody they know and saying, hey, I'm in the hotel. I said, well, then turn the phones off. You know, they don't need to make phone calls. But but I'm paying these humongous bills every time I go. We're about to do one in Romania, one in Malta. I'll pay for all that. And so that's got to come from God. God's going to have to supply that. He's going to have to come up with that. And he always has. He's done it for fifty-five years. Why would I think he'd quit now? Amen. He's bought all my airplane tickets over all these years. That's so true. Paid for my hotels all these years, paid for my rental cars all these years, paid for my food all these years, as well as all those pastors. Yeah. Everybody at home. Because he's got plenty of money. Plus, I got bills at home. The office is running at home, the staff's running at home. I gotta have salaries, I gotta pay bills. That's all, all the, the bills at home keep on going. Even if I'm overseas, the bills at home keep on going. But God's got plenty of money. And he shares with me. And a lot of times it doesn't look like it, man. It doesn't look like it. You get right down to the, I mean, you know. <laughs> Lord, we're leaving here tomorrow and we got a big bill. And, you know, I can't leave here with that bill not being paid. Looks like you could have paid it three or four or five days ago. But, I, you know, I appreciate you paying it tonight. And he's always done it. Amen. So he said in Genesis 126, he said, Let us make man in our likeness our image, and let them have dominion over the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, the, 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 the beasts of the field, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what we see here in Genesis 126 is we see right into the heart of God. We see his vision. We see his dream. We see his plan. We see his purpose. We see his desire. Yeah. We see what he's thinking by Genesis 1:26 that he wants to create people. Yes. And he wants them to be in dominion. That's right. Run the earth. And the devil has fought that from day one. And he's tried to get everybody else and everything else in control. I saw Nancy Pelosi not very long ago get on TV and she just crying and whining and she said, we've made, we've made Mother Earth angry at us. I don't care. We better save the planet. You can't save the planet. Some, men, some, some fools think you can des- man can destroy the planet and other fools think that man can save it. You can't destroy it and you can't save it. It's God's. Amen. We don't have a mother earth and a mother nature. We have a father God. Not very long ago on the calendar, we had earth day. I said, earth day? More like the earth is the Lord's day. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and all all that dwell therein and the fullness thereof. The gold is mine and the silver, saith the Lord. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. It belongs to God. God is the owner. And he's given us the stewardship of it. That's right. He said, you run it. You take care of it. You have authority. You have dominion. Yes. Yes. Are y'all here? Yes. yes. You know, we're not just here as little puppets and God's pulling these little strings. You know, a lot of preachers in every denomination there is, from Catholic to Pentecostal, every denomination, TV preachers everywhere, uh, have one message that's, right. that's straight from hell. It ought to go back to hell, and I hate it, and it's called the God's in control message. I hate dear preachers preach that because it's not true, number one. That's number two, it's a mean message. It is so mean for me to tell you that, hey, God is in control. Because when I tell you, hey, God's in control, what does that do to you? You think, well, if God's in control, what's my part? Does my faith affect my outcome? Or if God's in control, my faith doesn't affect my outcome. Mm -hmm. I'm just a puppet. God's just pulling the strings. So my question is, if God's in control, why go to church? What's the difference whether I'm in a bar or in the church? If God's in control, if I have nothing to do with it, why pray? If my prayers aren't going to work, God's going to do what he pleases. No matter what I pray, then why would I pray? Why would I pay tithes? Why would I give offerings? If my offerings don't affect my outcome, if my, if my tithe don't affect my outcome, if they don't affect my finances, like the Bible says, Old Testament knew that they do, but if they, if, if they don't, why would I pay my tithe? Why would I give my offering? Why would I worship? Why would I praise? Why would I do anything for church and God if it doesn't matter? You know, there's, there's, a, there's a doctrine out today, you know, really, really extreme grace. I call it the Jesus doesn't care message. Because they just preach, I can just do what I want to, but aitarian Jesus doesn't care. Jesus didn't care what do. I do. I can live in sin. Jesus doesn't care. I can go drink, I can go smoke, I can go snort, I can go shoot, I can go, I can go do all this stuff, and Jesus doesn't care. Yes, he does. See, see, Christians today want to live like a pig and be blessed like a sheep. You can't do that. If you live like a pig, God's not gonna bless you like a sheep. You know, I, I, I raised my four kids, and I raised my my, my my grandkids based on this. That I said, look, I'm your father, and I'm your granddad. I will love you unconditionally all your life. It doesn't matter what you do. I'll love you. If you rob banks, I'll love you. If you're a murderer, I'll love you. If you're a sexual deviant and a pervert, I'll love you. If you, if you, if you mistreat people, I'll love you. I'll I'll love you no matter what. I'm your dad. I'm your grandfather. I'll love you unconditionally. But I will not approve of bad actions. And And if I don't approve, I'll tell you I don't approve. I'll tell you not to be doing that, not to be doing that, not to be doing that, not to be. I'll be vocal about it. And if I don't approve, then I'm not gonna bless it. And here's where the church gets all messed up. They think, that, they think blessings come with love. God loves me. I'm his favorite, so he's gonna bless me. Oh, no, 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 no. He loves everybody. But he doesn't bless bad behavior. He doesn't bless sin. He doesn't bless the curse. And I tell my kids now, now, if you come to me and say, hey, can you, can you give me some cocaine? Let me snort it and shoot it and do it. I'll say, no. I don't approve of that. That's not right. That's going to hurt you. And I'm not going to pay for it. I'm not going to bless you. Because with my approval comes my blessings. With my disapproval, there's no blessing. But that has nothing to do with my love. I love you anyway. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my grandbaby. I, I love you. But I'm not going to bless sin. And I'm not going to approve of sin. And if I don't approve, I don't bless. Amen. Well, that's the way God is. He loves you. I mean, he loves you. If you go to hell, he still loves you. you. Right? Nothing will separate you from the love of God. But he won't bless it because he doesn't approve. And us trying to convince him and everybody else that sin really isn't sin. You're not going to convince God. You may fool somebody else, but you're not going to convince God. That's right. Amen? Amen. Are y'all here? So in Genesis 126, we see into his heart, his vision, his dream, his desire, his goals. He wants a family that will love him because they want to. And that will run his earth. And yet, you know, the world comes along and we say, Hey, we got to, you know, we got to save the forest. We got to save the snail. We got to save the fish. We got to save the whale. We got to, oh, let's kill a baby. It's okay to kill a human baby. It's okay to kill a lumberjack for cutting down a tree. But let's, let's save the tree. See, we've got our gods messed up. Amen. People are more important than trees. People are more important than whales, dogs, cats, snails, fish, excuse me. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we need to understand what God wants us to do and what he cares about, and we need to care about what he cares about. Now, he loves the animals. He made them. He loves the trees. He made them. But he did not want them having dominion over us. He wants us to have dominion over them. Amen. That we're the dominating factor. He said, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. He wants us to run the place. And yet, the devil's tried so hard for so long to just put down the church, 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 down the church. Shame, the church shame the church, shame the church, shame the church, shame the church, until the church has just gotten this little thing of, we're, not, we're just the church, we're not very important, we're just meek and mild-mannered, we're just little sissies, you know, we don't, we don't want to say anything. No, 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 you're supposed to be the dominating factor. Yeah. Amen. You know, during COVID, I'd call out here and talk to David all the time, and I'd say, "Where are you at?" He said, I'm, "I'm at work." I said, "You hadn't shut down the church." "Oh no, I hadn't shut down the church. Not going to." Well, see, he's a hero. That's
3: right. And y'all are heroes
2: for coming to church. That's
3: right. That's
2: right. So we don't bow down. We don't bow down to evil legislation. Right. We don't bow down to communism, and that's what they're trying to do to America. Take it from a missionary that I go to the communist countries i know about communism america's the only thing about communism i do i've been doing it for 55 years i understand communism it's never worked in any country of the world hello and the first thing a communist country does is attacks the church and the middle class first thing they do is attack the church and the middle class because so you cannot have a communist country if you have a strong church and a strong middle class so that's why in, in america back in 20 they said they said you can go to sam's Walmart, all that, but you can't go to a mom-and-pop store. You can't have a middle class. You'll die if you go to a mom-and-pop store. Don't stop down here at the taco truck. No, you'll, you'll die. And don't go to church. Because so if you go to church, you'll die. So. And if you go to church, you're mean because you'll kill everybody else. But hey, go to the ball game. Go to, go to Costco. Go to Sam. Go to Lowe's. Go to Home Depot. That's okay. And For about the first year and a half of the three years I said do they just think we're stupid yes. and then the last year and a half I said I think we're stupid <laughs> see we're supposed to be in dominion the president's not in dominion we're in dominion Hollywood's not in dominion we're in dominion Washington D.C.'s not in dominion we're in dominion now see throughout history people knew that God was in authority and that the church was in authority. Old Testament, they knew that. New Testament, they knew that. In America, for decades and decades and decades, in America, America knew that. That's why if you go in any courthouse in the land, they got got scriptures all everywhere. They got the Ten Commandments. And all of a sudden, now they've been trying to take take all that out, take all that out, take all that out, take all that out. Used to, in every movie that you watch, people's quoting scripture. Cops are quoting scripture. Lawyers are quoting scripture. Judges are quoting scripture. That's right. Right? I was watching a Gunsmoke the other night. Y'all remember Gunsmoke? Renee and I was watching Gunsmoke. Matt Dillon. And, uh, and some of these hillbillies sent, sent some guys down to Dodge City to find a wife for one of the cousins. And so they were interviewing women in Dodge City trying to find a wife. And the one that they chose, little old girl that they chose as the wife, the reason they chose her is because she could read the Bible so well. And right there on Gunsmoke, they had her stand up and read a whole chapter out of, out of what, Psalms or Proverbs? Read, read the whole chapter right there on TV. Boy, you don't hear that today. But see, you used to hear that on TV all the time. All the time. all the time, all the time, all the time. Every movie, every cop show. But now it's just more blaspheming, and blaspheming, and blaspheming, and blaspheming. Are y'all here? Yeah. But see, we used to know God was in authority. We used to know God's people could pray and things would that happen.
3: That's it right
2: there. We used to know that. Would- I Man, I went to church when I was a little boy. I went to church with some folks that knew how to pray. Right. Renee went to church with some folks that knew how to pray. In fact, us teenagers yeah. knew better than to, get to do stuff we shouldn't be doing because the Holy Ghost did tell on us. That's- We'd be sitting down in church, just minding our own business singing, and some dear old saint would come by, man or woman, come by and say, Honey, uh, we need to go to the prayer room. And they'd take us to the prayer room, come on, you girls. and then we'd pray, yeah. not till we got through, we'd pray till they got through.
1: It was wonderful.
2: Yeah, it was great.
1: Glorious. Kept us straight. Protected us.
2: Protected us, absolutely. But you don't have that in church anymore. You don't have people watching over people anymore. People being part of the family anymore. So even the kings in the Old Testament, even the kings knew they weren't in charge. That's right. But that the prophet was in charge. Now, some of them didn't like it, and some of them didn't live that way, but they all suffered the consequences.
3: That's right. They sure did.
2: Who was it that made King Saul king? Samuel the prophet. Wasn't the people that did it. Wasn't the vote that did it. Wasn't, Wasn't Saul that did it. It was Samuel the prophet who came up to Saul and took a horn and filled it full of oil symbolizing the Holy Spirit, poured it over Saul's head, down his hair, his beard, his clothes, and onto the floor, and said i've anointed you king of israel right who's in charge the prophet it's not the king it's the prophet see americans are all goofed up thinking that hollywood's in charge and washington dc's in charge no the church is in charge it's just that she's so mealy mealy mouthed and mild-mannered and weak and sickly that she just keeps her keeps her head down and hopes nobody sees her No, God wants you to be in the forefront in dominion.
1: Yeah, not passive.
2: God didn't want a passive church. Amen. One day, Samuel the prophet walked into the king's hall and he said, Thus saith the Lord go over here to this village and kill every person there, all the Amalekites, kill them all. I mean, every man, woman, boy, girl, baby, dog, cat, mosquito, kill them all. Don't you leave one thing living. Don't you bring back any gold or goods. You destroy everything. And King Saul said, yes, sir. Takes his army and goes over there and whips them. (laughs) But he brought back some stuff. And so, so the prophet walks in. And he said, Saul, did you do what I told you to do? And he said, yes, sir, I did. You killed everybody? Yes, sir, I did. You took care of that deal? Yes, sir, I did. He said, then why is it I hear the bleeding of the sheep? He said, well, he blamed it on the people. He said, well, well the people made me do it. He said, they wanted to bring back the, 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 some of the nice looking people to, for God. And they wanted to bring back some of the gold for God and bring back some of the best animals for God. And the prophet said, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to kill every one of them. Don't leave one alive. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And he took a sword. That prophet took a sword and went out there and killed all those animals and people, including King Agag. He said he hacked King Agag to death. Yeah. The, prophet. the prophet did that. Who's in charge? The king Saul? No, the prophet's in charge. Amen, Brother Terry. That's good word. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The prophet's in charge.
3: It's fierce, fierce, fierce.
2: In fact, notice that notice that he told Saul to kill the Amalekites and, and, and get rid of them so they won't ever bother you again, and he didn't do it. And so later, guess who it was that killed Saul? It was an Amalekite. Had he killed them, that wouldn't have happened. And his son killed his son, Jonathan, as well. And then one day Saul decided, you know, I want to go to war. I, mean, I need to go to this country over here, and I need to whip some folks. And uh, so I'll go down to the temple and get the prophet to bless me. So he went down to the temple, and the prophet wasn't there. He said, where's the prophet? Where's Samuel? Well, he hadn't got here yet, but he's on the way. And so Saul paced up and down. He looked at his watch, and he just paced up and down. He said, i got to go, man. i got to go. i got to put the battle in, in gear. Uh, where, where's the prophet? Well, he's on the way. He's coming. And finally Saul said, I can't wait. He said, you know what, I'm a man of God. uh, Samuel poured the oil over my head. I'm anointed just like he's anointed. Big mistake. I'm anointed just like he's anointed. I don't need him. I'll just bless myself. And so Saul, King Saul, had a church service and ran the church service and blessed himself. And when he did, Samuel walked in. And Samuel said, what did you do? He said, well, I needed to go to war, and you weren't here, and I need you to bless me, and you weren't here, so I just blessed myself. I'm anointed like you are. I got the horrible over my head like you did. I, I'm, I'm just a bunch of man of God as you. He, oh, no, no. You're just the king. <laughs> you're just the king. You are not in charge here. And he said, because of what you've done, you're a dead man, and your son Jonathan's a dead man, and God has taken the kingdom away from you. You're no longer king. See, who's in charge? Saul? No, no, no. The prophet. The prophet. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. King David had all these wives, had all the women he wanted, but he got to looking over the fence at Bathsheba. And there she is out there on the roof, and she's sunbathing naked. And uh, he got all excited about that, brought her over to his house. They had sex. She got pregnant. And she's a married woman. And so now he realizes, uh, her husband's gone off to war. She's pregnant. Everybody I know it's not his baby. We need to hide this. So he called her husband back from the war. Yeah. So he'd sleep with her, and then they could say it's his baby. But this guy comes back. His name is He came back, and he, he was so honorable. He said, I'm not going to sleep with my wife when my men are sleeping out in the field. Yeah. So he slept in the floor. Wouldn't even sleep with his wife. And so she went and told David, he didn't sleep with me. So when the baby's born, he'll know it's not his baby. So David just had him killed. He's an adult. He's a peeping Tom. Then he's an adulterer. Then he's a murderer. He just keeps leading one other thing to another. And so he had him killed, and he married Bathsheba. And everything's great. And David's king, and Bathsheba's his wife, and everything's wonderful and she's pregnant with her baby and praise the Lord and pass the mashed potatoes isn't this wonderful and Nathan the prophet walks in and Nathan said king let me tell you a little story there was this guy over here a farmer had a whole bunch of sheep thousands of sheep and there's another farmer next door he only had one little sheep. sheep love that sheep love that sheep love that sheep one little sheep thousands of thousands of sheep one little sheep and he said, that bad guy over here with all the sheep went and, went and took the one sheep away from him. David said, that's sorry so-and-so. How bad that, that's terrible. He said, you bring him in here, I'll kill him and take all the sheep and give them to the other guy. And Nathan looked at him and said, thou art the man. I'm talking about you, you did it. You had all those wives and you took another man's wife." And he said, and because of what you've done, that baby's dead. That baby will die. So who's in charge, King David? Nope. Hmm. It's Nathan the prophet's in charge. See, so who's in charge, Hollywood or the church? Who's in charge, Washington, D.C. or the church? See, the church has been deceived for a long time here. God wants you to be the the deciding factor. He wants you to be the person in authority. He wants you to be in dominion. You're not here to bow down and be subservient. You're here to be in authority. Ahab the prophet, I mean, excuse me, Ahab the king. The Bible says there's never been anybody as bad as Ahab that sold himself to to, to do the works of the devil. The only person worse than him was his wife Jezebel. And so one day Ahab was going to town, and he went through this beautiful vineyard. And he said, Man, I like this vineyard. And so he said, Who owns this? And they said, A guy named Naboth. So he said, Well, take me to him. So they went over to Naboth, and he said, Naboth, he said, Buddy, I like your vineyard. I want to buy it from you. He said, Well, thank you, King. I appreciate that, but I like it too, and it's not for sale. He said, Yeah, but I'll give you all this money for it. He said, Well, thank you, but it's not for sale. He said, I've got lots of properties. I'll I'll just trade them to you. He said, Thank you, King. I like this one. I'm going to keep this one. And so Ahab goes back home just crying and sucking his thumb, got in bed in a fetal position, and he's crying, and here comes Jezebel. And she says, Baby, what's wrong? You tell Mama what's wrong. Mama, fix it for you. What, what's, what's the matter? And he said, I wanted that vineyard down there, and Naboth won't let me have it. And she said, You just take a little nap. I'll, I'll take you. Mama, take care of this. So she went and had Naboth, and his son's killed. Then she comes and wakes up Ahab and she says, Wake up, baby. I got a surprise for you. Mama fixed this for you. I got you that vineyard. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary. Just go down there and take that vineyard. Oh, he's so happy. He got up and he got dressed and he runs off down there to the vineyard to take possession of his vineyard. And when he did, Elijah the prophet walked in. And Elijah said, I know what you did. And here's what King Ahab said. I think it's hilarious what he said. You read this. This is in 1 Kings chapter 21. He said, uh, he said, Elijah, my old enemy, have you found me? He was scared of him. The king was scared of him. Elijah, my old enemy, have you found me? He said, you better believe I found you. I know exactly what you did. And because of what you've done, you're a dead man. And the same dogs that lick the blood of Naboth are going to lick your blood. And that perverted woman of yours, Jezebel, she's a dead woman, and the dogs are going to eat her body, and there's not going to be anything left in her to recognize to bury. Who's in charge? The prophet. Where were the Secret Service guys around King Ahab? What were they doing? Their job was to protect him. Here they got a prophet going off on him. Well, obviously, they were scared. (laughs) Where was his bodyguards? Where was his soldiers? Man, yeah. they were they were backing off, man. They don't mess with that prophet. Are y'all here? Yeah. And you know the story. Somebody shot an arrow and shot Ahab and he bled out in the chariot and died. And so some some officer came and told some corporal, said, Hey, take the king's chariot down there at the water and wash it, and wash out the blood. So he takes it down there the water, washes out the blood, and here comes those dogs and lick the blood. And then Elijah went over to a prophet's house and got one of the prophet's kids. Doesn't tell us his name. Doesn't say who it was. Just said one of the sons of the prophets. Young, unnamed and uh, young he young. said, young man, he said, take this box of oil, anointing oil. And he said, "And go down the road here and there's a house. And he said, when you get to the house, knock on the door. And he said, when you knock on the door, he said, there'll be a bunch of soldiers there and ask to see a soldier named Jehu. And when Jehu comes to the door, tell Jehu that you've got a word of the Lord for him and go to the back room. When you get to the back room, take that anointing oil and pour it over his head and tell him, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed you king of Israel. Really? That's how it works? Some prophet's kid? Yeah. Well, yeah, he's in charge.
3: Absolutely.
2: And so the kid did just that. He went down there and knocked on the door. They came and said, Yeah, what can we do for it? He says, Is there a guy named Jehu here? He said, yeah, Captain Jehu's in here. And he said, well, I need to see him. So Jehu comes and he says, we need to go to the back room. I got a word of the Lord for you. So they went to the back room and the kid takes the box of oil and pours it over over Jehu's head and said, thus saith the Lord, you're you're anointed king of Israel. And Jehu said, well, this is in 2 Kings chapter 9. You can read this. He said, well, if I'm the king of Israel, I guess I'll just go kill all Ahab's kids. Ahab had like 70 kids. He said, I'll just go kill them all. Just is rid Israel of them, so he jumps in his chariot and takes off. And uh, I guess he drove kind of like Pastor David, I guess, because the Bible says the Bible says Jehu was known for his furious driving. <laughs> so when anybody saw Jehu driving, they said that's Jehu. And so sure enough, he's man, he's tearing it up, going under this chariot, and uh, two of Ahab's kids, both of them kings of different places saw him and they said, That's that's Jehu. And so they sent their messengers, two messengers out there, and said, Go out there and stop him and say, Jehu, do you come in peace? So those two messengers took off and went off out there and they said, Jehu, stop, 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 stop. Jehu stopped. And he said, Do you my master wants to know, do you come in peace? He said, No, I don't come in peace. What do you know about peace? Get out of my way. So he came to the next messenger. Stop, do you come in peace? No, I don't come in peace. What do you know about peace? Get out of my way. And so the two kings, and they ran running their chariots up there, and they said, Jehu, stop, stop, stop. So he stopped, and they said, Jehu, do you come in peace? He said, no, I don't come in peace. He said, because of your mother's witchcraft and her whoredoms, I'm going to kill all of you. Boy, those two kings turned their chariots around and took off. Jehu takes an arrow and knocks it and puts an arrow in one guy and kills him dead, takes another arrow, shoots the other guy and wounds him, and he dies later. And then Jehu goes riding into Jezreel. And the Bible says that Jezebel was in Jezreel, and it says that when she heard that Jehu was coming, that she painted her face and plaited her hair, 2 Kings chapter 9, and she went and threw the windows open to watch him ride into town. And when he rode into town, she's there just smiling, you know, and he looks up and there's Jezebel up there in that window upstairs, and there's a soldier up there with her. And Jehu said, Throw that woman out the window. That soldier just grabs her and throws her out the window. (laughs) And the Bible says she fell at Jehu's feet and the blood splattered up on his horses and splattered up on the wall. And then he ran over with his horses and chariots and left her laying in the street. And he went in and ate dinner. And while he was having dinner, he said, you know, guys, that, that woman is a daughter of a king. I guess you should go bury her. And they said, yes, sir. They went out to bury her, and they came back, and they said, "Uh, Sir, there's nothing left of her. The dog's ate her. All that's left is her skull, her feet, and her hands. And that's exactly what Elijah the prophet said, that there'll be nothing left of her to recognize to bury. So who's in charge? It's not Jezebel. It's not Ahab. See, it's the prophet. Are are y'all with me? First, King, sec, first, uh, first chapter of 2 Kings, there's, there's another son of Ahab named uh, King Ahaziah, and the Bible says he fell through the lattice work and hurt himself. He's up on the roof and fell through and hurt himself. So he says to his messengers, he said, uh, Go down here to the prophets of Baal, the gods of Enron, and ask them if I'll live or die. So they said, Yes, sir, and they left. Well, while they're on the road to go see the prophets of Baal, the demon possessed, the Satanist, Elijah walks out. He said, where are you boys going? they said, well, the king hurt himself, and so uh, he sent us to go to see the prophets of Baal and the gods of Enron and ask if he should live or die. And he said, you just go back and tell the king I have a message for him. And here's the message. Is there not a God in Israel that you have to consult the prophets of Baal and the gods of Enron? And because you've done this, you shall surely die. So they go back. They walk in. The king looks at his watch. He says, man, you had not had time to go where I told you to do. What are you, what are you doing? And, uh, and they said, well, we, we were on the way. And said, this guy came out in the road and said, I've got a message for the king. He said, what's the message? The message is, is there not a God in Israel that you had to consult the prophets of Baal and the gods of Enron? Because you've done this, you'll surely die. And he said, who was this guy? They said, we don't know. Well, what did he look like? They said, well, he's kind of hairy and he's wearing a leather, leather outfit. And they said, Elijah. Elijah, He said, so help me, God, I will kill him. So he calls the captain in of his soldiers. He said, take 50 men and go arrest Elijah and bring him back here. I won't kill him. So the soldier says, yes, sir. And he takes 50 men and takes off. And he gets down there, and Elijah's just sitting there on the hill. And he said, Elijah, come down in the name of the king. You're under arrest. And Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Killed them all. So the king sends another captain in 50. Elijah, come down. This guy said, at once. Come quickly. You're under arrest. I'm taking you to the king. And Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Dead. So the king sends a third captain in 50. That captain gets out there, and either this captain was smarter Or he saw the 102 dead guys out there. And so when he saw Elijah, he just fell on his knees and said, Elijah, don't kill me, don't kill me. I'm just a messenger. I know you're a man of God. And he said, okay, I'll go with you. So he goes in to see the king, walks in and says uh, to King Ah Ahaziah, he said, uh, "Because, because you've done this, is there not a God in Israel that you have to consult the prophets of Baal and the gods of Enron, because you've done this, you shall surely die. And he died. So who's in charge? The military? Nope. The king? Nope. It's the prophet. See, we, we need, you need to start looking at the world like that we're all in a big ship. Oh, like an ancient ship, sailing ship. And, and and the church has got the will. The church is supposed to be an authority. So the church has got the wheel, And everything's fine. The ship's just floating along. Everything's fine. The skies are blue and the winds are favorable and the seas are calm and everything's great. But the church has a history. I mean a history of going to sleep. The church has gone to sleep forever. And so pretty soon the sun feels good and the air feels good. And pretty soon the guy at the wheel, he's just going to, nods off. And when he does, the ship begins to wander. And after a while, it gets cross-grained with the wind, cross-grained with the waves, and now they're in trouble. Somebody comes running, wake up, wake up, wake up, we're in trouble. the church looks around, wakes up, grabs the wheel, gets everything back together, and we're okay again. And that has happened all through history. It happened through World War I, World War II, 9-11. I mean, it's just always happened. You boy, what did we say right after 9-11? We'll never forget. We'll never forget. We'll never forget. It didn't take us 30 days to forget. Isn't that nuts? You know, I've always said, where was the church in Nazi Germany? The Lutheran church was strong. It was strong back there in the 30s and 40s in Germany. Where were they? They were asleep. Where is the church? Where's the church today? Asleep. Sleep was the church there in 9-11? She asleep. Awesome. The difference is, is that all through history, when a crisis came and a horrible thing hit, war or, or disease or whatever, the world got scared and ran and jumped in the foxholes. I mean, the church didn't. The church just kept on better business. And so after a while, the guys in the foxholes, they kind of looked over the top of the foxhole and see, is there anybody out there? Is there? Anybody? And there's a guy. It's the church. So they got out and went over to him and said, hey, can I go with you? You're not scared. You're not, you're not sick. You're not in trouble. Yeah, sure, go with me. And so the church grew every time, every crisis, ever, until COVID came along. And when COVID came along, everybody ran and jumped in the foxhole. And then after a while, the guy in the foxhole turned around and looked at the guy next to him and said, it's the church. The church is in the foxhole for the first time ever in history. And so when they look out over the edge, see if there's anybody out there, nope, nobody out there. The church is let down on her job. And uh, there are churches that have shut down during COVID that will never come back, never, never. And there are churches that people left and started watching online, and they'll, they'll never be back. Because they like the pajamas church. But see, the, 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 the online tapes, CDs, books, television, online, all those things are meant by God to be supplements. Crutches, they're all crutches, but they're not a substitute. Now, when you're off somewhere and you need some help, thank God we've got those supplements. You can pop a tape in. I went to bed last night, and I grabbed my phone. I turned on Kenneth Hagin. I stuck a Nearpod in my ear, and I went to sleep listening to Dad preach to me, like I do all the time. That's a great, and he's been gone since 03. Yeah. And that's a great supplement. It's a great yes. crutch. Yes. But it's not a substitute. I don't, I can't live on that. Right? Amen. I was getting my hair cut oh, a couple, three years ago, right in the middle of COVID. And the lady that does my hair, has for years, she... She said, well, Terry, I'm really enjoying this church on TV, this church online business. I said, oh, you are? And she said, yeah. She said, you know, I get, my, I get my vacuuming done. I get my dishes done. I just get all kinds of things done. And I said, wait, wait, time out. Time out. Stop. What? I said, uh, you're, not, uh, you're not listening. She said, well, sure, I'm listening. I said, no, you're not. I said, you're not, fo- you're not there with your Bible and your notebook and just focused and locked in and hearing from the Holy Ghost. I said, you're distracted and you're getting this done, you're missing some words here and you're getting this done, you're missing some words here and the kids are running in and say, I, want, I want to drink of water or I want some breakfast and you're missing some words here.'re you're, you're not that, that's not church. Imagine. Amen. Right. Right. That's your crutch, that's a supplement. that's, that's nice, you've got it right. in a pinch, but that's not the substitute. So you need to get yourself in church. Amen. Renee and I was preaching this in Lake Charles, Louisiana uh, last year. And the week we were there, three major big churches in town, three big churches, all had closed down ever since COVID started. And when we were there last year, they all three made the announcement the same week and said, we're done, we'll never be backward, we're done. See, mm-hmm. God never intended for you to live with supplements and crutches. Mm-hmm. Amen. If you're watching online today, I'm glad you've got it. I'm glad you can do it. But I am begging you to get back in church. Because it's in church where the corporate anointing is. The corporate power. The corporate faith. The corporate praise and worship. The corporate agreement. Amen? We can do more when we're together. Than than scattered all over town in different houses. Right? And we need to understand that. Y'all get anything out of all this? Yes, well, it's 1220. I guess I ought to quit. <laughs> and we'll pick this up tonight and then Monday night and Tuesday night. And I've got some things to share with you that'll, that'll ring your bell and that'll get you up in spiritual authority to where uh, literally change your life. Oh, Amen? Amen. God, God intends for us to make history and change history. It, yeah. live it, live Amen? And so uh, we we've got some things to share with you that you're going to enjoy. It's going to be it's going to be really good. But see, everybody used to know the church is in authority, but somewhere along the lines we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that. See, even in the New Testament, they knew it. Uh, the church. I think the church gets messed up <coughs> because we see how Jesus uh, was horribly tortured and killed. So we think, oh, well, he was weak, he, he was a sissy, he couldn't do anything. About it. And we see how all those apostles died horribly, died martyrs' deaths. Well, that, that wasn't because they didn't have faith or authority or dominion. It was because God wanted them to be martyrs. There was a purpose for that. Just you getting killed or murdered is not the same thing as being martyred. There's a, there's a martyr's death, but, but just because somebody walks in the church and shoots you doesn't mean you're a martyr, it just means you got murdered. I had people come tell me after, right after Columbine started back in what, 1994, uh, and, then, and then copycat school shootings after that, I, I literally had parents in different churches around America tell me, you know, tell me maybe that'll happen to my kids' school. Maybe my kids get to be martyrs. I said, bite your tongue. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I said, you need to get out of there to your kid's school and march around that thing seven times and shout and plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of the covenant, the covenant of the blood, take authority, take dominion, tell those devils, you are not coming on this school. You're not coming on this campus. This school's protected just because of my kids. The whole place is protected. Because, see, people don't understand the difference in murder and martyr. They just think just because some bad guy shoots you and you're a Christian that you got martyred for Jesus. No, martyrdom is when, is when you have to... They they come to you and say you deny Jesus or we'll kill you. That's a martyr. That's happening with ISIS and places around the world today where they say they say are you a Christian? Yeah, you know, and uh, uh, that's a martyr. But we don't know much about martyrs because the Bible doesn't tell us much about it. But there are martyrs in the Bible, and it tells us very plainly in Hebrews 11. It says that it says that those martyrs could have been delivered. But it says they refuse deliverance. You read it. They refuse deliverance hoping to to obtain a better end, a better reward. I don't even know what that means. But that's not talking about you. That's not talking about some jerk murdering you. Amen. And we need to be in authority and dominion. But but they tried to kill Jesus a lot of times, you know, and he wouldn't let them. he just disappear, just walk out of their midst, whatever. But when he finally did let them kill him, remember Pilate and Herod both said, hey, boy, don't you know we can crucify you? Don't you know we're powerful? And Jesus looked at him and said, you little pygmy of a man. You have no authority whatsoever except what my Father gives you from heaven. And he said, let me tell you something, Hotshot. You don't take my life. I give it. You don't take my life. I'm here on purpose. You're playing into my hands. I'm not playing into yours. Amen? Yeah. And we need to understand that, that Jesus had the authority to get out of that. But if he did, he'd have lost us. They made fun of him on the cross. And they said, look at him up on the cross. He saved others. He came not save himself. Well, ironically, that was true. He couldn't save himself or he'd have lost us. Yeah. He could save himself and lose us or he could save us and lose him. And he chose to lose him and save us. But it wasn't because he was a sissy or because he didn't have the power. And then all those apostles of the Lamb, the twelve apostles of the Lamb, uh, including the apostle Paul, they, including Jesus, they, they all, they all were martyrs. With the exception of the apostle John, they tried to kill him, and John wouldn't die. They boiled him in oil, and he said, "Oh, this is a nice hot oil bath," and he wouldn't die. So they exiled him to the island of Patmos, where he wrote a little book called Revelation. And then they let him go after he served his sentence. And he's the only one of all the apostles. Uh, the 12 apostles of the Lamb that lived to a ripe old age and enjoyed his, uh, his, to finishing his ministry and enjoyed his family and kids and grandkids and all that kind of stuff. But, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that the reason God had them martyred, this is Terry Miles opinion, you don't have to believe it, but I believe that the reason God had them all martyred was to prove to everybody that Jesus really rose from the dead. Because, Tammy, they're the only ones that knew the truth. See, Herod said, King Herod said to the guards, they said, they said Jesus blew out of the grave. And King Herod said, You tell them that the disciples came and stole the body away and hid it. And so the Bible says that story is still told to this day. Right? But but the disciples all saw Jesus. The twelve disciples saw him, plus the 70 disciples, plus this 500 people that saw him ascend into heaven, all these eyewitnesses. And, and I'm convinced that the reason God had them martyred was to prove to all of us that that Jesus really rose from the dead because see we we don't know we weren't there we didn't see it. We believe it and haven't seen it right but they saw it. they knew it was true. So when they were killing those guys they were sawing them in half, they were hanging them from trees they were they were they were crucifying them they were they were they were skinning them alive. They were doing these horrible, horrible, horrible things. Don't you think if if don't you think if if they had hidden the body away? Don't you think one of them would have said, "Wait, stop! I'll tell you where the body's at. It's a lie. He didn't raise from the dead. I'll tell you. Don't don't kill my wife. Don't kill my grandbabies. I'll tell you. Not one of them did. Not one. Not one. Not one. I'll quit, but I'll show you, let me show you a picture. It won't take me with a second here, and I'll show you a picture, and then I'll quit. Hang on, I'm looking at my iPad, I can find it faster on my phone, but it's, it's formatted different in my iPad.
3: But.
2: When Renee and I got married, we went to Malta to preach a pastor's conference and we went through Rome and I asked her, I said, have you ever been to the Vatican? She said, no, and I said, have you ever been to the Sistine Chapel? Obviously not to the Sistine Chapel, no. I said, I want to sh- show you something, so we t- I took her. And this is a famous, famous picture. Y'all have all seen it. And you can all Google it. Just Google. You can see it better than here. But just Google uh, uh, Sistine Chapel, you know, artwork, painting, famous. And, and it, it tells the whole, Michael, uh, Leonardo, uh, Michelangelo had such a revelation of what God did that, that you could talk for, I guess, days about this painting because it goes around and it tells the whole story of creation You know, and and then at the end, down here, it's got hell. People went to hell. Up here, it's got God and blah, 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 blah. But right here in the middle, see, right here in the middle, you look it up yourself. Right here in the middle, and I'll I'll make it bigger right here. Right here in the middle, you've got Bartholomew. And Bartholomew was skinned alive. Now, I'm a hunter and a fisherman. I've skinned lots of animals. I've skinned lots of fish. But they skinned this man alive. And so Michelangelo had such a concept and revelation of that that he painted it with Bartholomew holding his skin, yeah, I see it, as if to say, "This is what it costs me." This is what it cost Bartholomew sitting there holding his skin, just saying, "This is what it costs me." And I just think that's such a powerful revelation that Michael. And Google it yourself; you can see it better. And and it's right in the middle. It's right in the middle of the painting. It's right, right there, right there is Bartholomew. And uh, and then if you if you just enlarge it, then then you see that he's standing there just holding his own skin. Yeah. And can you imagine being skinned alive, and then killing your wife and killing your kids and grandkids, and not saying and not saying, hey, wait, I'll show you where the body's hidden. We hid the body. We're just we're just it's a lie. It's not true. And so that's my personal opinion, not scripture. But it's my personal opinion why. God had those guys martyred to prove that they're the ones that knew whether Jesus was alive or not. They saw him. We don't know. We weren't there. They were there. They saw him. And so I believe that God had that, had them be martyred just to prove that not one of them broke ranks, not one of them recanted, not one of them said it's a lie, not one of them said I'll show you where the body is because they knew he really did raise from the dead. And, and then 500 of them saw him go into into heaven. Well, stand up with me. Joke anything out of all this? Yeah. You're in authority. Now, whether you ever operate like it or not, making you no know, difference, you're still in authority. It's kind of like some little kid born a king, and they never operate in it, and never, never get good at it, but they're still king. So God's made you in, in, in authority. He's given you dominion. And so it's up to you to learn how to use it, learn how to operate in it. And we'll get, on, we'll get into this later. We'll get into this. I'll, 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 you know, I, I wish we had five or six nights instead of just four services because we could really cover some territory. Because I've, I've, got, I've got so many testimonies about spiritual authority. I've got them broken down in categories of, of, of weather. I could tell you all kind of tornado and earthquake and hurricane events and then, and then sick people and then raising the dead people. And then I've just got all kind of testimonies that I can talk to you about spiritual authority. But it's something the church is going to have to get a hold of. Father in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Mm-hmm. Thank you for tonight and tomorrow night and Tuesday night that we absolutely lock in. We lock in and we say, "Father, we're going to get it." If nobody else gets it, we're going to get it. That's right. We yeah. take we we are going to get every drop of this we can and apply it to our lives yeah. and from this day forward we're going to walk in spiritual authority. We're going to walk in dominion. We're going to be the dominating factor on the planet and fulfill your dream in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. We give you glory, honor, praise, majesty, dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said?